Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, You have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash NFL. The NBA playoffs are here, and Podcast One Sportsnet is taking you courtside with the best podcasts in the game. Get slam-dunk coverage from the best in the biz like Dan Patrick and Rich Eisen, as well as Danny LaRue on Real GM Radio. Then turn over for some laughs with Shaq on the big podcast. Hit the buzzer and download new episodes of these shows and more every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One Sportsnet. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzola here with Mike Renner. And happy draft week, everybody. It's finally here. You could just feel the buzz around the office here, Mike. I was so juiced. I was in here. I was in here at 545 this morning. Why are you doing that? Why are you showing off right now? I mean, it was. I was so excited for draft week, the best week of the year, my Super Bowl. I know the Super Bowl actually exists in football, but I call this my Super Bowl because the draft is all I live for at this point. All right. The draft is all you live for. Plus, it's your birthday week. It culminates. I know. Saturday is my birthday. So afterwards, after, that's the thing. After the draft, I actually have to work still. But I might, I might drink one beer. I'll drink one. Look, you could celebrate the whole month of May. Doesn't. One doesn't. A week after the draft, then you can yeah. take a break. Uh, but yeah, you're back here again because you're doing, you know, the majority of the draft draft work here. So we've got two shows this week from a podcast standpoint. You and I will do this one. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to circle back probably with Eric, get more of an analytical view on the draft a little bit later in the week. Yeah, There's a right. lot going on right here. Should Talk I drop some pro- uh, PFF specific, basically some behind the scenes stuff about how we go about how we our go, job yeah. here, doing all the stuff that uh, you know goes into the draft board and the draft process. But. Yeah. Give the, give the folks what they want, though. 
Yep, that's what people want. That's definitely what people want. So that's what they'll want on uh, thir- Wednesday night, Thursday morning, uh, leading up to the draft. We need a couple pro uh, a couple programming notes here. So Sam and I are going to be at Sports Illustrated. We're going to be live at SI on their social channels, YouTube and Facebook, I believe. Uh, Thursday night, live from the draft. We're going to be competing head-to-head with you, Mike, mm-hmm. anchoring our coverage here from Cincinnati on our YouTube channel, you, along with Eric Eager, George Shahuri, maybe Chris Collinsworth maybe. might yeah. drop by for our draft, uh, for our round one coverage. You guys are going to be a little more professional. Ours we are. is going to be a little laid back and more just, let's say, what, how we're feeling about all this stuff. Going to do some trade analysis yeah. when trades get made with the analytics team. Going to just, you know, give general thoughts and not necessarily uh, produce well-produced uh, insights. But there will be some production value. We'll it's keep our big board running and that sort of stuff. It's going to be Sam and I trying to compete for time with uh, Burt Breer and Andy Staples and those other guys when it's like, hey, we got the real analysis, guys. Throw to, throw to Studio B. But that, we'll, we're going to be Studio B over there. We'll be, we'll be tipping picks at SI as well. Here too, yeah. Sam. Um, then Sam and I will be back here for Friday night. Day two and three will be live. I mean, day two will be live again. Mm-hmm. Also, we're going to have a separate video for every single pick. Uh, the goal is, you know, rounds one through three, so you guys can go back and see exactly how we thought yes. about each of your team's picks on the main days. Uh, because it's such a big week here at PF- PFF, I need to drop the promo code that we have. We really want everybody to get a hold of PFF Edge, get Elite. So we're giving you 25% off. Promo code is DRAFT19. It's If you're listening to us on Monday... It's not live yet. It'll be live on Tuesday. So just remember, a lot of you will be listening to this on Tuesday, Wednesday. Draft 19, you get 25% off every PFF product, Edge or Elite, monthly, doesn't matter, annual. Uh, So technically, you can get in on monthly and steal the draft guide and get out for 25% off. I'm just saying. Um, So Draft 19, promo code 25% off. Uh, Today, I want to hit on uh, just some big picture items, some draft sleepers. And you wrote a couple articles on all of these things. Draft sleepers that we wrote over at ESPN.com, most underrated that you wrote over at ProFootballFocus.com, and then the one I like, biggest red flag first rounders mm-hmm. that you wrote over at ESPN. There's a lot of crossover if you guys are PFF fans. You've heard a lot of these guys, but let's consolidate it all into one place and discuss. Yeah. Well, housekeeping, just getting all the takes that we've had throughout the draft season. That's what it is. Onto the pod. That's what it is. <laughs> all right, let's, let's start with some draft sleepers. Now, these are guys that could go in the middle rounds, Maybe even the late rounds, they were high on. Guys that either graded well, uh, showed well in our system, showed well from a projection standpoint. So let's start it out. Give me some names that you really like as draft sleepers in this, in this draft. Toledo wide receiver Deontay Johnson. I don't think he's going to go till day three from everything I've heard. And he will be one of the steals of the draft, in my opinion. I just don't see how he's not productive in some sort of role at the NFL level with how dynamic he is with the ball in his hands. Right. I just think you can find a way to get that guy uh, in space if you're creative enough in an NFL offense. And I think he can get himself open, too. I'll just, you know, just put that out there as well. I think he's a very good route runner. But I just think what he can do uh, from a space perspective wins in today's NFL, is valuable in today's NFL. And if you're getting that on day three, he is a major sleeper. He can win in the slot. He can win... A little bit down the field. 
you know, his route running is absolutely spectacular. I think we mentioned it last week against Miami 2017 and their really good defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was getting open and making plays against them. And, and the thing was, yes, he can win the slot, but he was an outside receiver at Toledo. He was, you know, he's 5'10", 185, but he was not a slot receiver in college. He was producing, had the fourth highest grade in the nation back in 2017 from primarily, pretty much solely from an outside alignment. He can win there. It, he would, he just had those weird testing numbers, right? Like we expected, yes, the, the change of direction that he shows on film. You expected an incredible three cone or an incredible twenty yard shuttle. Three cone was fine, seven point oh nine. The twenty yard shuttle at four four five was questionable, yeah. but that was one of those like let's defer to the tape. I've seen him separate and get over. I do hate I hate saying oh you know Antonio Brown. Just comparing any guy to an elite level NFL player, but from that perspective, he moves very similarly to an Antonio Brown. Where yeah, it might not be. You know, fourth. You might not run the four threes or a four four. The testing might not look like what you see on the field, but what you see on the field is just a guy playing the game differently than the guys he was going up against. And even uh, Sean Bunting, we had Austin Gale here interviewed him uh, for our series of interviews on a lot of draft prospects, and he talked about going against Deontay Johnson was the toughest matchup he faced. You just had to do things differently against him because of how shifty he was, how tough he was off the line of scrimmage. So there's a lot of good wide receiver talent, but just keep an eye on Deontay Johnson from Toledo. Um, I like this next name here because you've uh, you were one of the, I think one of the first people to mention him Yeldi Froholt um, to the point where we needed to figure out it, it's spelled Hajalti but it's Yeldi Yeldi we had to research research it to get it right um, but the game against Quinnen Williams in Alabama was the thing that kind of stood out like hey he's handling Quinnen Williams really well um, he had graded well for us a couple of years ago had some ups and downs mm-hmm. but some of that high end play I think makes him really intriguing yeah I think he's a classic case of. It doesn't look amazing. He's n- he doesn't have pancakes on his tape. He's not overpowering guys at the point of attack. Uh, there's nothing that, you know, highlight reel. There's no high-end play that you're seeing yeah. from Yeldy. But it's not a position where high-end play is necessarily a guard. You don't need these highlight reel blocks. That's not nearly as important as just not screwing up. It's a, pl- it's a, just don't lose. It's a loss-based position where the fewer times a guy loses, the better he is. That's Yeldy Froholt, in my opinion. Only five pressures allowed in playing in the SEC this past season. Between center and guard, has that flexibility. Has played both positions at Arkansas over the course of his career. And then he goes to combo. He's very athletic. One of the most athletic players there. Ran the short shuttle in four five four seven five one three cone. Those are great numbers for an offensive lineman. There's a lot to like, and he's getting. He will be available on day three. I'm fairly certain it doesn't seem like anyone's necessarily that high on him. But I think from a pass pro perspective. He brings a lot to the table. Some of the stuff you described there is how we described Frank Ragno last year because he didn't necessarily have all the pancakes. His Arkansas teammate, who was the center, uh, first round pick I, for the Lions. I think he did. He had some nice reps on tape. He, but he, he had was a lot of more impressive. He all, but yeah. I also thought that but some yeah. of the more impressive stuff that he did was when it looked like he was going to lose and he just latched on long enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe, you know, some similarities yeah. there. Um, Max Crosby from Eastern Michigan, another guy that we've pounded the table for a little bit. Uh, probably a mid-round type of guy. Multiple years of really good grading at Eastern Michigan. And, uh, you know, it's one of those... A lot of these guys, it's when you miss on the first wave of prospect, these are the guys that you should be looking at. I think Crosby certainly fits that bill on uh, at the edge. Yeah, Crosby, incredibly productive in terms of players. Edge players in this class was uh, top 10 in run stops, top 10 in pressures over the course of his career. Goes to the combine, runs a six eight nine three cone at two fifty five. It's absurdly good number. Four one point one three shuttle, 
also absurdly good and had the explosiveness, you know, four six six forty and 36-inch vertical. He is, I mean, a very good athlete for the position. Doesn't have great length, but uses his hands really well. Showed up in the grading, multiple years of very good grading, and it showed up against better teams. Took a little bit of a step back as a pass rusher this year, because, but in my opinion, it was because he just he never came off field. He was playing every single down there at Eastern Michigan after he was more of a rotational player, or got at least some breaks the year before. That's always tough to do, is just stay at that high level of play when you're on the field. So even if he's drafted, though, day three, he's not going to be your star. He's not going to be a Pennsylvania star for a lot of teams. So he's going to be your you know, sort of designated pass rusher early on his career, most likely. From that perspective, I really like him being able to translate to the NFL. Yes, 744 total snaps. Yeah, 2018. It's almost as much as Nick Bosa's like Over entire five, career. So. Yeah, it really is. 550 and 560 in 2016 and 17. So three years of uh, seeing him on the field mm-hmm. and, and a ton of pressures. He was number 11 in the draft class and pass rush. And he's he's young. He's only a junior. He came out early. He is not. You know, if he's not Chase Winovich, who's 24 years old. This guy's 21. I mean, he's there's still something some untapped stuff to be uh, in that tank there. Another edge rusher that we've t- uh, touted here quite a bit, Ronheen Bingham. From Arkansas State, the production's there, the burst is there. The one concern now he's ba- he's been banged up this off season. Mm-hmm. We didn't get a read on his pro day weight until very recently, like mm-hmm. within the last week or so. Reportedly in the two twenties. Now that's a concern. I don't know that he looks like he played at the in the two twenties. I don't know how much that is the injury, but it was definitely. But even if he was two forty, we were sitting there on like this fringe of you know. What can he do with the next? I was always kind of like he's a designated pass rusher, and that's not the worst thing in the world when a guy is put him as a designated pass rusher. And I think he's athletic to even if you want to move him off the ball. I think he has the balance to play off ball linebacker and be a blitz weapon if that's what you want to do with him. I just think the way he attacks blocks is is rare. You just don't see guys that good at taking on offensive linemen and winning at a high level. Uh, we've said it before, did it against Jonah Williams as well. He's done it against pretty much every single person he went up against. I mean, he had the highest pass rushing win rate in the country this past season. There's a reason. Uh, that's just a rare thing to see a guy that good at it. And yes, he is small, but I think 10 to 15 pounds isn't going to uh, completely neuter his you know, athleticism advantage. And so I think he'll at least have a role in that regard, or he can move an off ball, which, like I said, there's just, I think he's too good at football things to completely fail in the NFL. I am all in on those, you know, pass rushers turned you know, yeah. off ball linebackers at the next level if they're used high tower in that way. Yeah, high tower. Yeah. Um, some guys actually convert to linebacker really well, other guys really just need to be blitz weapons. Uh, Bingham, because again, if you could beat tackles in college, you should be able to beat running backs one on one at the NFL level. But his pass rush uh, production overall has just been fantastic. Only rushed the passer 272 times last year, which isn't really a lot. Eight sacks, 14 QB hits, and 40 hurries. Um, He had about 15 or 16 wins on spin moves alone. So he was hashtag fun to watch when it came to that. Uh, You know, his... You know, style rushing the and passer. he bull rushed too at his size. Like he had a legit bull rush. He's undersized, doesn't have great length. He's only like six two, but he knows how to use that leverage. So that's why when you when a guy is still undersized and can bull rush, that's when you feel a little more comfortable. It's the guys who are undersized and completely win by just having tackles whiff on them that you're a little more worried about. He has a legit bull rush. All right, another guy to keep an eye on: Josh Oliver from San Jose State. I want to say the same thing too. If you miss on T.J. Hawkinson, if you miss on a Noah Fant. Or my guy Jay Sternberger, I think Oliver's there in the third round from San Jose State. Uh, we, we were debating, our, our guy Sam has been, has been debating uh, catch radius quite a bit mm-hmm. on Twitter. Um, <laughs> Josh Oliver has a nice big, catch radius. Big catch radius. Contested catch guy. 
Um, and he's, you know, one of the top six or seven tight ends in this draft. Huge wingspan. I mean, he has big hands, almost 11-inch hands. And I, I think that will translate. When a guy has size, big hands, and the physicality that he showed, like I said, top 10 in terms of all players nationwide in total contested catches this past season. And then he tested. He's a good athlete also. Ran a 4.63 at 250 pounds there. He's... Uh, can get open at the, the tight end position. Didn't do a ton as an, in, as an inline blocker, uh, but again, that's more of an afterthought. We care about how these guys can do uh, as receivers, and he'll be a red zone threat. You know what you don't always see at the college level is tight ends playing out wide. Uh, you just don't always see it. You know, in the NFL, you, almost every team takes their tight end and puts them out wide every now and again. Gives you a man zone read and all that stuff. Oliver has a lot of plays out where he lined up as the outside wide receiver freakish tight uh, touchdown against Hawaii or big play against Hawaii. I mean, he's got some big plays all over the field lined up in the slot or out wide. Uh, Tavon Coney from Notre Dame, one of those linebackers I can't really get a read on. We were just talking about in the office this morning. Devin White, Devin Bush, Mm -hmm. and then the linebacker rankings are all over the place. place. We have Coney at number three. Other people have him at like 15. People have him in the sixth round. He feels like the guy that could go in the sixth round that we're just saying – Keep an eye on him because he has starter potential. You could get a day three steal here. Yeah, the biggest thing with him is just athleticism. You don't see he is a below average athlete, and that's obviously concerning to me at a position where athleticism still matters, coverage ability. Uh, I'm not sure he's going to fit into every single scheme, but a lot more zone-heavy teams, a lot of teams that rely on short area quickness over necessarily long speed guys to cover a lot of ground. If you're just able to pass off routes and get from one to two to three as a linebacker, I think that that's what Coney's best at. He's better than any other linebacker I saw in this class in terms of processing route combinations, getting to where he's supposed to be quickly in that short area quickness. Doesn't have the great sideline sideline speed. That's not who he's going to be, but I think in that sort of role, he can be a productive coverage player and against the run as well, was off the charts productive in college, and he just didn't miss tackles. He's great in space in terms of his balance. That's the other biggest trait I love about him. Balance big at that position. You use balance a lot. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of Nick Kwiatkowski, who was a fourth-rounder for the Bears a couple years ago out of West Virginia. And Kwiatkowski hasn't become a really productive every-down starter, but there's Mm -hmm. a role for him. And then there's that chance that he becomes this really good starter. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think Coney has a better chance. I think he's better. Quite he's, be, yeah. he's better, but I think it's just a similar player who could end up in the fourth or fifth round because mm-hmm. of the athleticism concerns. And maybe he's more run-stopper than coverage player, you know? Um, Kalen Saunders, a guy, I, I really don't know where the NFL is on him either. Western Illinois, interior d yeah. but really showed well at the Senior Bowl and graded well for us as well. Yeah, I mean, he is... As good an athlete as you'll find at the nose tackle position, he's quick. I mean, ran almost a five, ran a five point oh one forty at three hundred twenty pounds with three hundred twenty four pounds, which is pretty absurd. Uh, and it shows up on tape. He is so quick, getting swimming centers there uh, at Western Illinois, and then he goes to the Senior Bowl, which you love to see a guy from the small school go to the Senior Bowl and not even just be productive, be probably the best nose tackle in attendance there that week, had the second-highest win rate of any of those guys on the interior in the one-on-ones as a pass rusher. Uh, he's just so uh, so good at penetrating into the backfield, whether it's versus run or pass, that I, I think if you're a one-gap penetrating team, if you're really someone like the Cowboys, someone in that, in that mold, he is perfect. He is the perfect nose tackle for your scheme. And one other name, we have one other name to highlight here. We got two uh, more. Two more. Okay, give me your guy here. Jimmy Moreland. Jimmy Moreland. Hashtag football player. James Madison, 18 picks in his career, and they played a lot of man coverage. 18 picks for them playing a lot of man coverage 
is impressive. David Long at Michigan, they played a lot of man coverage too, probably more obviously than James Madison, but he only had three picks in his entire career. You just don't get as many picks in man coverage because you're not looking at the ball. You're looking at the ball a lot more in zone. Moreland, 18 over the course of his career, as physical of a 5'9", 179-pound cornerback as you'll ever see. Uh, probably going to be pigeonholed in the slot early in his career. That's fine. Slot still has a ton of value. I think he can play on the outside, too. I mean, the way he played the position, I think, can translate uh, in time. Maybe he's not ready right away from that jump in competition. But physical, going to make, going to tackle ball carriers, going to be able to play that sort of physical brand of football that uh, I just I'd bet on a guy like that, the way he plays the game, overcoming a size more than I'd bet on you know a six foot two corner who's soft being able to impose as well on other the, uh, wide receivers. The last part is the I think the key one because I think you know teams are much more willing to take a six foot two athlete who hasn't played the position all that well and, and hope to mold him, but I think that's just as risky if not more than taking the guy who's a really good football player who might be more undersized, especially if you can get slot value. Mm-hmm out of him uh man coverage scheme for him the best fit or do you think he's got enough versatility i think he's got enough versatility like i said he's he did they played a lot of man coverage and i thought he was great at it but they also played some zone and that's where he got a ton of picks off of that he just his breaks on the ball are fantastic underneath all right let's wrap it up with max sharping from northern illinois he went to the senior bowl uh was okay there but four good years of grading at northern illinois pass blocking grades from, straight from the PFF draft guide, 88, 87, 94, and then 89.8. That's four years. Really, really good. A little bit more inconsistent as a run blocker, um, but good size, 6'5", almost 330. And uh, how many pressures? Like oh, just over 30 pressures, 33 pressures in four years. Yeah. And I know it's in the MAC and all that stuff, and you have to go back and see the competition and all that stuff, but anytime you have four-year sample sizes like that, it's pretty good. Yeah, only 13 this past season on 517 pass-blocking snaps. Uh, I mean, and then he goes to the Senior Bowl. This is, I can't for the life of me uh, realize why he's not getting more hype. He goes to the Senior Bowl and was one of the highest uh, graded offensive players there in the pass-rushing one-on-ones. Like he sh- was shutting down guys that week. It doesn't look necessarily pretty that, that was when he I, does it. I think. Uh, his pass sets do not look like NFL pass sets. He's shuffling out. I mean, he doesn't have great coaching there at Northern Illinois, but he got the job done, and he will have good coaching soon enough that if you're getting the job done with bad coaching, I'll take my chances on you <laughs> once you actually get that form down. His wins don't look pretty, but also his, his losses are pretty bad. He's got mm-hmm. a few lunges in there. He's one of those guys, I think if you see the bad lo- losses, you're like, oh, he's a, he's a lunger. He's yes. a waist bender, and he'll just get this label. But he is one of those guys where I think how often truly does matter. He's got a lot of good reps on there on tape, obviously, for four years of strong grading at Northern Illinois. If your team like the Texans, the Eagles, we keep talking about developmental tackles. I think if you mm-hmm. get this guy in the middle rounds, because we put a second round type grade on him, might be available in the third or fourth. Um, basically, this whole list of players is the guys that we're going to be writing up after the draft. We think mm-hmm. as the steals of the draft or the you know the the well, some of our favorite picks in the draft. But uh, they're your draft sleepers. You wrote the whole article. It's over at ESPN.com. All a part of their ESPN Plus package. If you're interested in further write-ups on those guys let's go to let's switch just a little bit it's it's guys that we like but we're calling them just the most underrated players guys that we put first round caliber grades or we say hey we don't care if these guys get picked in the first round they're fringe first rounders at worst yeah for us but they're not necessarily getting a ton of first round so the biggest thing here was they tested athletically athletic they're they're not unathletic these guys are all plus athletes some are elite athletes 
they all graded out extremely well, whether it was in one year or, the, or over the course of their careers. They have very good grades uh, and aren't necessarily being thought of as great prospects. We are much higher on them than it seems like the general public or where they're going to get drafted is. And, and, that was the conceit. And it's important to connect the athleticism component, right? Mm-hmm. Because even if it's, does, we don't weigh it maybe as heavy as the grading component, there are certainly guys where if they don't have the athleticism, the grade, yes. you know, yeah. the value of the grade diminishes a little bit. When you have both, when you have especially multiple years of good production, and then a guy tests well, usually those things mesh really well. Yes, that's, so that's, that's the thing. So we feel very good about these guys because of those two items are present, on-field production and athleticism. That, in our books, is a good combo. So the full article's over at profootballfocus.com. Let's start with J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, a guy that I do think we are higher on than most. I understand why people aren't as high on him for a few of the reasons. We just think that his trump cards are enough to have value with him. Honestly, the reason I think people aren't high on him is because the like, general public doesn't have access to all 22. You just don't see his routes on Stanford tape because he only plays on the outside. It's one of like, the biggest things. People are sour on him because every single catch, it seems like, oh, it's because every single catch he has doesn't seem like it's, uh, or it seems like it's contested. It seems like he's not getting open. That was the route tree at Stanford. Right. They were not on pure go routes. They, didn't, they did not throw him... He would, he would beat a guy, and they would not throw like a lofted deep ball. It was always back shoulder on the go there at Stanford. So it's always going to be a contested catch. It's always going to look like you're not open, even when he has, he has a guy by two steps. It would get thrown as a back shoulder. That was just that offense they were in. He was running the silo, you know, the stereotypical straight go, straight hitch, straight comeback, straight post. That was it. Not a lot of double moves, not a lot of you know, frills in that Stanford offense, but he did that at a really high level. And he graded out highest on third and fourth downs of any receiver in the nation, highest in the red zone of any receiver in the nation. He wins where I'd like a guy to win. Very good hands, great contest catches. And then had a four four nine forty at his pro day. I Were mean, you surprised at that? Because I didn't 40? see him as a speed guy necessarily. Were you surprised at that forty? No, because I, there are a handful. Because if you went back and watched, there were a handful of like pure goes where he got a clean release, and then corners would not. We're not making up that ground yeah. that quickly. When a guy really is slow and gets a clean release, gets a step on a corner you see that start to get made up. And a right. guy can recover and get back on him, and then you're like, okay, that guy's more of a 4-6 range. You saw that with Kelvin Harmon, definitely, on tape. He would get a step, and then all of a sudden, that corner would make that step back up. That was not the case with J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. When he got that step, usually he maintained. All right, Chase Winovich, another guy we have listed here. We've put him in our top 32. Uh, we've put him ahead of Rashawn Gary. We always um, you know, seem <laughs> to bring that comp there, but he's been the more productive Michigan edge defender perhaps in a more favorable situation than Rashawn Gary, but it doesn't matter. I and mean, we're talking about a guy that has the burst off the what, edge and just wins. Well, when I, when I hear that criticism of, oh, they put Winovich, you know, Winovich was, the, was given a better opportunity to make plays and get sacks than Rashawn Gary, you're basically telling me that the Michigan coaching staff thought Winovich was a better player. Is what you just told yeah. me when you say that. You say, oh, the Michigan coaching staff knows both well, and they decided to put him in the playmaker role and not Rashawn Gary. They decided... Decide to let Rashawn Gary just mush rush, eat up blockers, that sort of thing. Why would you not? You would give your better talent the more opportunities to make plays. So anytime that criticism comes up, that, that one to me doesn't really hold water. The biggest criticism that holds water is he's 24 years old right now, yeah. is that he is older. Yes, it is pr- reduced on a football field. Yes, he's been very good on a football field, but he's older at the moment. That, the only thing I can say to that is, one, there hasn't been a lot of guys produce as well as he had 90 plus grades each of the past two seasons, and he's freakishly athletic. It's like he's 
already, you know, sub seven three cone at two hundred fifty six pounds. He is very athletic. You almost want guys to be older and more NFL ready. I don't really care too much about if a guy's great in year four. I want to get production on my rookie deal. I like that he can win different ways. I mean, mm-hmm. I was not surprised, but watching him even just week one against Notre Dame, I'm like, I just saw him win with pad level. I saw him win with his hands. Uh, of course, he's got the hustle plays everybody likes to talk about, but um, I like that he wins all different ways, and that's what shows up in the grade. When you have two 90-plus grades mm-hmm. back-to-back, you, you have to win different ways, and Winovich certainly has that. Andy Isabella, we've we've talked about quite a bit here. Yeah. Another guy that we have is a you guys get that a first round right type of player. No, let's. <laughs> there are new listeners. Yeah. There are new listeners. There, there mm-hmm. are old listeners too. Who hate us talking about Andy Isabella. But what do we love about Andy Isabella? I love that he is uh, incredibly athletic. I, I, like different athleticism than basically you can be fast. He is next level fast he basically you cannot there's not defensive backs in the nfl that will be able to make up ground on him we just talked about that with our sega white side guys weren't able to make up ground some college corners there's not a cornerback in the nfl that i think is going to make up ground on him once he gets a step on you so he has that going for him at he's small he's short but he's not small he is five foot nine but he's 188 pounds which is very solid for a five foot nine human being he's very strong plays through contact well in that regard and then the thing I keep coming back to is, yes, you can talk about the catch radius being an issue. It is an issue. I don't, I'm not going to love him in contest catch situations, but he separates at a high level, and I'd rather take that than the issues with then guys who can, can make contest catch at a high level but not separate. And if it really was that big of an issue, he had UMass quarterbacks throwing him the football and still led the nation receiving. If UMass quarterbacks can hit him, and in stride, I think NFL quarterbacks are going to have a good chance of hitting the him. Overrated catch radius. I, I'm just saying, like, yes, it is an issue, but catch radius on balls down the field, like far down the field, are basically just how fast you are. The, 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 so that's where he's got really good balls. Yes, from. he's good at tracking balls down the field, and that, to me, is important. And there's a reason. I think there's something to the fact that UMass, terrible football program. I'm not, like, breaking any news here. Three players drafted this millennium all of a sudden gets some guy out of the blue who leads the nation receiving and is rumored this. I think that's, there's something special there uh, that he, a guy coming from that program uh, can be as good as he was this past season. There are some concerns about him against press. Any concerns yeah. about? Oh, yeah. I, I'm, you're not drafting. So we think of him as a first rounder, but I think of him as a first rounder because I think there's a lot of value in not your number one receiver, but your number two receiver can have a ton of value too in terms of what he brings to the table. He's not going to be your guy on third down like J.J. Arcega-Whiteside where run this slant and we know we're going to him. That's never going to be him. He's never going to have... He's the only way to have 100 catches in the season if he goes to you know New England and he has Tom Brady throwing him a bunch of balls over the middle of the field. That's really but even the only, then, that's not really his but even, game. Even then, that's not super his game. I think he could develop into that. He still is very athletic. That's not his game up to this point. His game is down the field, winning down the field, getting you separation and being deadly in terms of if you get him one-on-one running at a safety, that safety is toast. All right. So a creative usage with them, you're not going to stick them at your X. You're not going to stick them on one side of the field and say, hey, run, you know, run the route tree. I keep going back to JJ. He's, a, he's, a, he's yeah. a movement guy. You're going to get him off exactly. the press. But he's, still not, he's also not a slot, though, either. He's not that pure, like, two-way go slot guy either. But deep over routes, crossing routes, go routes, like you're saying, he's got the speed. Um, to really put pressure on the defense. Uh, David Long from Michigan, another guy we've spoken about quite a bit here. If you have the PFF draft guide, go check out the numbers. They're spectacular. Completion percentage of about 30%. 
into his coverage the last couple of years. That's always inflated by a couple overthrows here and there, but it gets you in the ballpark. It matches the grades pretty well. David Long, definitely a feisty man coverage corner. Yeah, he gave up one catch over 10 yards all season long. 12, 112-yard is his longest gain he gave up. 24 yards is the longest gain he gave up in his entire career at Michigan. Yes, he gets a little grabby, but uh, and yes, he's a little undersized, and yes, he hasn't played a ton of zone coverage. He played basically either cover two or man there at Michigan, but you saw high-level play from him. Uh, I go back to the Maryland game in 2017 where he rolls off his assignment in man coverage, cuts underneath a corner route, and picks off a pass in the end zone. You saw that's a zone feel type of play uh, when he could look in the backfield, had good instincts that's in that Marcus regard. Peters type of play. Right yes, there. that type of play. So, And then from a mirror perspective, he's as good as it gets in this class. I mean, he might not be might not want him on Julio Jones. He might get physically manhandled by some bigger receivers. That's just you know, how it works in the NFL. You're, it's tough to, when you're 5'10", 195 pounds, it's just tough to match up with those guys. That's the same for anyone. You might not want him in press coverage. You might want him in off coverage in that regard. But I guess a shorter, quicker receiver, uh, he's just going to be able to lock him down. He just showed that at Michigan. Just for perspective, the teams that play a ton of man coverage and like to play matchups, right? So it's not just man, stay on the side. It's actually... I have this big corner, put him on a big receiver. So the Patriots do that, and the iterations of the Patriots now, they're in Miami, they're in Detroit. Mm -hmm. Other teams will do that. You know, we've seen Arizona do it with Patrick Peterson in the past. Probably Tampa Bay would. Tampa Bay will probably. So so now David Long is a perfect complement for, say, Carlton Davis in Tampa Bay. Patrick Peterson in Arizona, if that's what they want to do. Compliment to Darius Slay in Detroit. Compliment to Xavier Howard in Miami. Mm-hmm. Compliment to Stephon Gilmore in New England, right? So if you have the bigger, longer corner that could take on the bigger receivers, David Long is the guy that you want facing the route runner. He's yeah. got to match up with your Antonio Browns, your Julian Edelmans, your T.Y. Hiltons, right? So there's a ton of value in those types of guys, especially if you're in a man-heavy type of scheme. Yes. And, and he's got all that experience playing man. Uh, next guy you, you listed here, most underrated. These are guys with first-round talent. My boy, with Darnell Savage from Maryland. He, I mean, speed that shows up on films, uh, sub-4-4. Uh, Our guy Sam has compared him to Bob Sanders, the way he flies around the field. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is like the missile coming out from the secondary. I keep saying, though, I want him patrolling the middle. short, intermediate yeah, middle of want, the field. You want him robber as your robber. Yeah. Yes. So does he have free safety type of skills? Yes. Like deep safety? Yes. But if you put him in that robber role, I mean, dig routes over the middle, you know, short post, all that type of stuff, I think he just compresses passing lanes so quickly. And we've talked about he's missed a ton of tackles in the open field, but you said, you know what, he's taking good angles when he's doing that. It feels like a fixable thing. Or that's also what Earl Thomas did early in his career. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you make yeah. enough big plays on the back end, I could deal with a few missed tackles. Not that he's Earl Thomas, but you just kind of, that's the give and take. There's also different ways to miss tackles if a guy literally is taking bad angles and then is you know completely off balance missing a tackle that's one thing if a guy is taking the right angle and then just refuses to break down and dives at a guy's feet and then misses that's a to me a more fixable thing you can fix a guy breaking down you can't fix a guy not being able to see or predict where a ball carrier is going to be Savage was much more able to predict, took the right angle, and then just missed at that point, which, again, that was Earl Thomas at the beginning of his career. And so, uh, to me, you're getting a player, and the thing I love about him is multiple years of good grades. He's not, we struggle with small sample sizes at safety. He's had back-to-back seasons, very good grades at safety position. So, he's kind of like a strong safety, but not a box safety that you envision, right? Like, if, you, if he plays the strong safety role as far as coverage goes, which is mm-hmm. robber, 
but also kind of out over the over the Overhang, slot every yeah, now slot. and again and everything. I think his coverage skills in those areas are just spectacular. Could he play deep safety? Sure, but he's kind of a, like a a very unique strong safety type of yeah. Eleven pass player. breakups over the past two years, seven picks over the past two years. You, you those are very good numbers. Love it, Darnell Savage, and then three more guys to list here: Elton Jenkins from Mississippi State. I had a tough time slotting him into my three-round mock that's going to be dropped on Tuesday morning. But we're saying first-round caliber talent, even if there's... I I don't know if there's a perfect fit for him in the first round. I was going to say, I think the reason for that is he's not necessarily schematically a fit for anyone. He's just very solid all around. He's not like a... Bradbury very much is his own... You know, a zone heavy team. So all of a sudden, I know you can fit him into any zone heavy yeah, team. Yeah, that'd be Rams, perfect. Falcons, Elkton yeah. Jenkins, I just think is a very good football player, yep. you know, full stop. I think he's just any scheme could use an Elkton Jenkins with how good he is in pass pro, how balanced he is in the running game. Uh, he had probably the fewest bad losses. We talk about guys, you said that earlier, the sharping thing, how the ugly reps can make you, you know, worried about a guy going to the NFL. He had so few of those uh, on tape. When he lost, it was just, you know, he kind of lose leverage. He kind of let a guy slip off. Was never really completely shed, per- shed, you know, terribly. He was always seemingly close enough in the right position. And so I, I just love his projection to the next level. That balance, to me, come back to it, the best in this class. And then uh, Greg Little from Ole Miss. Another, it's an odd one, right? He was productive as a tackle. At Ole Miss, they mm-hmm. run a ton of RPOs. I don't know if he's just not getting hype because, really, you just don't have a ton of true NFL pass sets to evaluate him on. But when he had to do something close to the ball in that ballpark, he looked pretty good doing it. I think the thing is, he's another one in the mold of Yaldi Froholt in terms of he's just not strong. Yeah, when a guy's not doesn't have good play strength, when he's not really moving guys, you're worried about him. He only did 15 reps on the bench of the combine, which I, I don't think uh, the bench is super indicative of how strong a guy is or how strong he plays on the field. But to me, that was not surprising. He just does not – he's not a people mover at this point. But again, he's only a 21-year-old. He's a true junior who started three years in the SEC. There is a lot to like on his tape. And again, he was a fairly good athlete when he tested out at the combine. Uh, so – but usually 35-inch arms, and people are going crazy. Yes, exactly. 35-inch right? arms in the SEC, what he did, how he produced there, people should be going crazy. And we like him as you know as a late type of first-rounder. Uh, again, the grades, and he has good athleticism, good size, and he's young. I mean, there's a lot to like about Greg Little. If you're, if you're at the back end of the first round, you're thinking, oh, uh, you know, all this tackle class passed me. He's still on the board. The tackle class hasn't passed you. He's still a he's, very good. He's in our surprise. second tier of tackles. And let's, let's just pretend Cody... Ford is a guard, and you have Jonah Williams, Andre Dillard, Jawan Taylor, Dalton Reisner off the board for some reason. Mm-hmm. By the time the Texans are picking at twenty three, do the Texans maybe consider Greg? I'd Little happily that take Griddle that Greg Little that high if I'm the Texans. Still, I, I mean, you've got um, Julian Davenport and his really long arms over there whiffing on yeah. blocks. You get another long arm. I mean, Martin, could, Mar- him, uh, him. In the SEC, compared to Martinez Rankin, uh, who was out of Mississippi State, that was the third round pick for Houston, who was their third year. rounder last year. They're great grade wise, not even close. Night yeah. and day, little all day long in terms of how we graded out. Little's not the best run blocker. He does slip off a ton of blocks. Graded in the sixties and seventies, but again, we're we're focusing on the more valuable component here: big hands, course. long arms, athletic, and yeah. developing produced pass blocking. All right, let's wrap it up with your favorite player, Jerry Tillery from Notre Dame. Why is he on our most underrated? So pretty much line? everyone was of this was fringe first rounder in terms of I don't see I don't think anyone's. Maybe I've seen Elkton Jenkins and Greg Little 
in first round mocks. Pretty much all those other guys have not necessarily seen this one. Jerry Taylor is pretty much in every first round mock, but I haven't seen him higher than maybe 20 something. I haven't seen him earlier than the 20s, which we find him as a top 10 player. So that's why we're saying he's underrated. Uh, he comes back to my haggling over athleticism take in terms of he's a very good athlete. Uh, I mean, his change of direction numbers were very good for the position. His 10 split was extremely good for the position. One six nine ten split, seven four five cone, four three three shuttle, all excellent numbers for that position. Four nine three forty. I mean, he is an elite athlete. You can haggle over levels of elite athleticism. He is an elite athlete, though, for the position, elite production. I mean, he's a top ten player on our board. And so if you're drafting them anywhere outside of the top 10, we're basically saying you're going to steal. Again, these guys are going to be written up after the draft as some of our favorite picks, unless our Sega Whiteside goes like 8th or something like that, and Winovich goes 12th. And we're then we'll say, hey, they got right. guys as some of, yeah, yeah. We'll say we nailed it. Um, but these are, going to, these are guys that are probably going to be written up as some of our favorite picks of the mm-hmm. draft. It's your most underrated guys that we think have first-round talent that maybe aren't getting enough hype in that range. All right, moving to our last segment now. The other side of the coin here, the biggest red flag first-rounders, guys that are getting first-round hype, but we've got some red flags on them. Yes. Either the data, something is saying, buyer beware on these guys. You wrote this up for the Washington Post. You had five names. So let's, let's just get to it. I mean, we've talked about Rashawn Gary quite a bit on this show here. Rashawn Gary from Michigan. Rumors are that he's actually dropping, though. That's if you truly believed the top 10 hype. Now there's more mid-first-round hype. For Gary, maybe he should, just, he should just slot in where he belongs, in that 48 to 50 range where we have him on the, on the draft board. Yeah, I mean, I, I would hope that you know, cooler heads will prevail, more sane you know, reason will prevail here at some point and realize, hey, you're just drafting a guy who is freakishly athletic who doesn't necessarily know how to play football yet, you know, has not translated to a football field. Which is pretty good second-round value. Which, you know? yeah, that's fine then. It also is, would terrify me. If I'm drafting him in the first round, that's my guy. And I'm asking him to all of a sudden figure it out at the NFL level against the best offensive tackles uh, in the world. So I I do think there's a lot of red flags. And the biggest one is just that even obvious pass rushing situations, you go back and you just look at the one times when he should be winning, when he knows he's going to rush the passer, get after the quarterback, no other job, and he just has nothing more than a bull rush. When you have nothing more than a bull rush, you're just... Uh, you're not going to keep offensive linemen can sit on that at the next level. Yeah, so again, we like him enough to call him a second rounder because there's enough physical tools. You can kick him inside, maybe get some value. You could try to develop him on the outside. Mm-hmm. You know, if he, like, if he landed at the Vikings with their mid-second round pick, I feel like that'd be a good, you know, they could probably get the most out of him, yeah. you know, hope for that Donnell Hunter type of development. But again, I just don't want to hitch the first round pick mm-hmm. to yeah. Rashawn Gary. So that's just, the, that's the red flag. These so, are red flags. They so just, his big red flag is on-field production. Even when we try to give him the benefit of the doubt, put him in these just-must-pass-rush situations, the grades aren't that great. Let's get to the quarterbacks. Daniel Jones from Duke. We've been saying this for a while. I wrote him up all last week. I said I called him more of a third-round prospect. You you went straight Friday news dump last week, <laughs> though, and was like, hey, I kind of like Daniel Jones. No, that's not my word. And get the wording right. It was I don't hate. Daniel you don't Jones. hate Daniel Jones. Okay. Because <laughs> so I, I mean, the, the pendulum swings so far one way or the other that a lot of people are just all over him, you know, the Giants for liking him. I'm saying I, there are reasons. There are reasons. Of course there are reasons. On tape. Yeah. There are reasons that are very valid to translate to the NFL. There's just the big red flag in terms of he's never led a high-level offense. Like, you're right. 
you're trying to say the the reasons are you're making excuses for bad play. You're not you're not saying you're not making excuses for good play why it's not going to work. You're making excuses for bad play why it's going to change. That to me is a red flag in and of itself. Oh, here's this bad play. Here's an excuse why it'll change. Well, that's not necessarily always going to happen. The fact that he had terrible situation there at Duke, there's no denying that his receivers were awful, dropped a ton of passes, one of the bottom five offensive lines in terms of pass blocking efficiency in all of college football. Both very bad, you know, both a terrible situation. But the thing is, he didn't completely overcome it. Like he wasn't, he wasn't leading that group to a winning record or anything special there at Duke. It was still bad. And he had back to back years of grades in the 60s which isn't even putting him on the draftable radar coming into the year. Mm-hmm. Then he has three games to start 2018, one after an injury. Uh, Army, Northwestern, Virginia Tech. Where he graded 90-plus you know, over, over the course of those three games. Where he looked great, and that put him on our radar as this you know, pretty good-looking mid-round guy, right? Like, let's, mm-hmm. let's see what he does. Then he comes back down to earth. I know he dealt with a collarbone injury and all that stuff. But when you add the whole thing up... And even when I'm writing out strengths and weaknesses and stuff, it's like, yeah, I'll stand in there and make a throw, and he throws with a little bit of anticipation, and he's okay at the quick game. He's just pretty good at a bunch of stuff that make, him, that make me think, oh, he's kind of a day-two guy. Exactly. But there's nothing on his tape that says, man, this guy's got top 10 to 15 quarterback potential, where even Josh Allen last year, mm-hmm. who we were like, come on, guys, he's not accurate. He shouldn't be going number one overall. But we at least said, with his arm, with his athleticism, with his ability to drive down the field, you can build this offense around him where he can create chunk plays, and it might not look efficient, but you can have one of those you can have one of those seasons where he just you know moves the, moves the offense a little bit, even if it's ugly. Mm-hmm. I, with Daniel Jones, it's just every time I'm d- describing him, I feel like I'm describing a, a Mike Glennon like backup who, in the spot starter role, could do pretty well. Well, and the other thing was times. even even going back to that Northwestern game. Oh, one of the best. Uh, you know, games you saw all last season, they scored 21 points in that game, yeah. in that football game. Like, he was not necessarily uh, leading. It wasn't a high-level offense that he was leading there. He still was kind of like, oh, he was efficient in the underneath stuff and then made a couple throws down the field, and it all was, like, accurate and moving, but it wasn't still, like, Patrick Mahomes level. It wasn't, it wasn't yeah, what right. those guys look like at their high end in college. It right. was just nice, you know. Can I call out the godfather, Gil Brandt, real quick? Go for it. I mean, I love Gil, and I've, I don't think I've he's said, listening, but maybe I've said on here before. My, one of my professional goals is to have so much cachet, right? Be so successful that I could be an old man and tweet whatever I want, and people are like, "Oh, that's just Steve." I mean, he's past his prime. Everybody knows it, but look at Steve. I mean, he's just he's just tweeting away whatever he wants, whatever social media form they have in the 2040s or whatever, yeah. you know. And that's me, 2060s, whatever it is. Um, so Gil, not only did he compare him to Peyton Manning, supposedly, like I said, he just reminds me of Peyton Manning. Yes, Peyton Manning coming Like, not just mannerisms. Mm-hmm. And there are plays on film. Did you notice the shotgun? Yeah, play action shotgun. Plays? He, looks, uh, he looks like he just watched Peyton film, and he's taking the shotgun, he's got his feet little, you know, pattering feet, and he's, mm-hmm. you know, fakes the, and he just looks like Peyton Manning. He looks like he's trying to emulate Peyton Manning. Nothing else about him looks like Peyton Manning. Accuracy, decision-making, <laughs> timing footwork other than when he emulates him from the shotgun on that one play that w- the decision making was the biggest one it was just even some of the really nice throws that i saw under pressure i was like damn I, like he i'm not sure he saw that linebacker it yeah, just right. like somehow got over that right. linebacker like you probably should not have thrown that he's got a couple good ones though, like where the big frame mm-hmm. thing that we kind of think is overrated 
if you do throw through contact and stuff like that, there's something to that. That that was the that was why I initially made that Nick Foles comparison. He is able to get the ball down the field when he's taking a hit. Very impressive. You know, mm-hmm. Foles does that. There's a couple plays where he's pretty much wrapped up and he makes a play down the field. I mean, there's some nice plays like that from Daniel Jones, but man, he just doesn't do anything exceptionally well. I, well, I, I will say the thing he does exceptionally well is actually going to be the biggest red flag for the guy who's next on our list. Drew Lock, which is right, Drew Lock. The thing he does exceptionally well is his ability to navigate a pocket and you know collapsing pockets eyes up eyes up yes still find guys and plays where other quarterbacks you might say oh that was pressure it doesn't it doesn't look like it with him because of the way he moved in the pocket the way he looked unfazed doing it so that's that's nice that's what you want to see translating to the nfl yeah because it only gets harder you only see tighter pockets guys are only getting pushed back in your face more and quicker at the nfl level Drew Locke was complete opposite end of the spectrum in terms of his left tackle started riding a guy nine yards deep and he'd fade three yards to his right because I mean he wouldn't take a step up it was just he was his movement in the pocket was terrible was seeing ghosts when there weren't any his offline would be perfect protection he'd be bolting he just did not have the pocket presence that when and then when it that did happen he would throw, it would be off balance. That's when his inaccurate throws, when he could step in a clean pocket and just deliver. He has arm talent. He has a fantastic, he has a can for an arm. It goes where he wants a lot of the times. That's why he showed well in the senior bowl against air. But that pocket presence, I'm not sure we've ever seen a guy really overcome, go from, you know, Ryan Tannehill pocket presence to Tom Brady pocket presence. It's just something that you kind of have at the position, especially since he's a four-year starter at this point. It's not like he's just a guy stepping in the first time. He's been for four years and still sees ghosts. It's really interesting because you're right. I don't think we've seen guys overcome pocket presence. What I think guys have overcome, though, is being a little bit slow to process. I mean, like Jimmy Garoppolo, when he just got to the NFL with New England, he took so many sacks in preseason games, and he just looked slow to process. Now Mm -hmm. that he's with San Francisco... And when he had those couple good games in New England, nobody was like, man, Jimmy G's slow to process. He was, you know, he's quick, right? He's yeah. bing, bing. Even Carson Wentz had times in college where it felt like he's a little bit slow to work the field and he's gotten better with that. So I think processing can improve. Pocket presence, though, that's the movement and feel that's different. I, I agree. I don't yeah. see that improving. We actually track pocket movement, which what, what was the guy's first movement? I can't remember if I used this stat when you were here, but. The average NFL quarterback moves up in the pocket about 5% of the time mm-hmm. when, when they move. Locke is at like 2%. They were very, very rare. Mm-hmm. Most of his movement is laterally, like you said, left and right and backwards. That is a huge red flag. You need to be comfortable moving up in the pocket and stepping up. And there's like two or three plays on tape that look good. But other than that, I don't, I don't love it. And I don't love his footwork. He'll make for every spectacular throw that he makes off balance. He misses one went off balance that was why i made that jay cutler light comparison Mm -hmm. for drew lock i think there's a lot of that so i I just think lock has a lot to overcome despite all that arm talent so wouldn't take him in the first round all right next guy paris campbell wide receiver from ohio state is he anything more than a souped up version of Tavon austin no that's that's the that's the red flag is he was utilized in this role that was uh not not translatable, I'll say. I mean, if you're expecting, we even talked, so I talked, touched on the Andy Isabella thing. If you're expecting a true X, that's not going to be Andy Isabella. 
Paris Campbell's not even going to do what Andy Isabella brings to the table in terms of that secondary type of receiver who can be a downfield threat. He is a pure gadget. That is what he was at Ohio State. Almost a third of his, tar- third of his catches this past season were screens. And so just throw those out the window if you're not the pure screen guy at the NFL level. Now, he probably will be. He is athletic. He is fairly good after the catch, but I'm not, I wouldn't put him in the special category after the catch. Uh, again, most of his broken tackles still came on screens. He wasn't breaking a ton of tackles on normal after uh, normal throws, normal underneath throws, and he just didn't do anything down the field. 22 total targets. Screens and drags. 10-plus yards drags. down the field. Screens and drags. Pure, pure, never had to beat coverage once, you know, in terms of actually set up a DB with a route and then win. Even his go routes, even his big plays down the field, he ran in a straight line from the slot past, like, a safety. That's so, it. The other thing, too, his drop numbers – in isolation, aren't that bad, right? He had five drops in 2018, five in 2017, though he had five on 46 catchable passes. That is actually kind of bad mm-hmm. in 2017. But his overall career, 13 drops on 100 with 145 receptions, that's not disastrous. But in 16 and 17, he was running a few more receiver type of routes. Like when he runs receiver routes more so than the easy stuff, looks really clunky catching the ball sometimes. Yes. Too. So you pretty much have to use Paris Campbell as a gimmick player and hope he develops as a receiver. When there's so many well-developed receivers in this class, that's the, that's the red that's flag. It. That's it. That's yeah. a major red flag. Whereas I think if you get Paris Campbell in the third round and you have a game plan for him, it's the same thing with Tavon Austin. If you had Tavon Austin in the third and you had a game plan for him, it's not the worst thing in the world. If you pick him at eight and you don't actually have a game plan for <laughs> yeah. him, it's a disaster. If you pick Paris Campbell, Paris Campbell in the first round, even if you use him as a gimmick player, it's going to be tough to get all of the value out of him. Mm-hmm. Like the way the Patriots used Cordero Patterson last year. That type. I mean, you can get value, but man, first round value, that's the risk with Paris that's, Campbell. Yep, that's where we're driving at. All right, let's wrap it up. Running back, Josh Jacobs. I was on NFL Network. They gave me a, a chance to... Uh, you take this one, then. You go. Run well, with it. Well, I mean, I just I, I gave all the PFF takes essentially mm-hmm. they said josh jacobs how high would you take him why is he number 60 on your board i'm like oh, look there's people in the building that want to make him lower that's george and eric i name them <laughs> right here because they said oh i didn't name you guys or you guys didn't name me on, oh. on nfl network george and eric said man don't put anybody above the fourth look i think josh jacobs could be a nice complimentary back in like an eagles offense not only do they need a running back to go with jordan howard but they have already got two tight ends a deep threat in Deshaun Jackson, a contested catch guy in Alshon Jeffrey, a slot in uh, Aguilar. So now you have Josh Jacobs receiving running back. If they took him in the second round, I'd be like, all right, that makes sense. But first round, any running back, it's going to be really you're really hard pressed to get any true value out of the first round running back. Yes, one of the stats I go back to is just him versus Jordan Scarlett, the Florida running back against SEC competition over the course of their careers. Uh, Jordan Scarlett actually broke tackles at a higher rate, and their yards after contact per attempt were within like 0.2. So uh, I think Josh Jacobs is like 0.2 ahead of him. It was like 4.1 versus 3.9 or something like that. Wow. Which is, I mean, Jordan Scarlett, you can ha- probably get in the sixth, seventh round. You, you can get a guy who is as productive as a running back as Josh Jacobs over the course of his career, tested out better athletically. Scarlett ran a 4.49, I want to say, uh, at the combine, is more of a home run threat in that regard. And you're going to take Jacobs in the first versus that guy who can get way later in the draft. I mean, Jacobs, the thing is, his receiving ability is good. That's why he's our number one back on our draft board. That is a legitimate weapon. But again, he's not a great athlete. 
Uh, and so, and the other thing was why it goes back to like the tight end conversation of you better have a plan to use that receiving ability. A lot of teams don't, a lot of teams start using their running backs like Saquon Barkley and throwing them flat routes 80 times a year. Because uh, he has receiving ability, which you don't even want to be throwing the flat route. It's that's, not a, it's right, a that's bad, bad route. Team. It's a bad route to throw. That's the interesting thing. The more we talk to the analytics guys and all that stuff, it's like, all right. Because we'll ask the same question I think our, our listeners and YouTube viewers want to ask, right? Well, if he has receiving value, then why can't you extract that value out of him? Throw the ball a ton. And they'll just say, look, you just, you just don't want to. Even if you had the best receiving back of all time, the effort that you have to go to to extract their value is to the detriment of everyone else. Yes. And that's part of the whole issue. This is why I'm like, guys, you do want to stop the run, right? And it's like, well, if you don't stop the run well, you're making the other team run the ball more, yeah, which is making them make better. worse decisions. Yeah. Yes. You're so there is actually something to this whole analytical breakdown of like, if you're really good at something that's not that valuable, it can actually have an inverse effect because you, you think it's valuable, yes, right? Yes, overuse it. But let me just finish it with this. There is a difference in running back skill but it just doesn't it, but it's not directly correlated to the difference in value. That's the thing, right? Saquon Barkley is a special running back. We think uh, skill-wise, mm-hmm. we think Josh Jacobs is the best running back in this class, but the difference in value that he's going to bring versus say a Jordan Scarlett or the number 10 to 15 back on our board is negligible. Mm-hmm. That's the ultimate running backs don't matter argument that we're always hammering home. So there you go. Biggest red flag first round picks. I think we made good cases for all those guys. That it for us? Yep, that's it. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for today. Listen, promo code. If you've listened this far, you need your 25% off all PFF products this week. It's draft 19. It starts Tuesday, April 23rd. I think we're running it for at least four or five days. So just get in there, get your draft guide, be ready for Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Information on over 600 people. It's all part of Edge or Elite. And then when you have Elite... You've got it for a year. You've got our premium stats 2.0. You've got the best of our fantasy products. Just get in now. Get your 25% off this week. Draft 19 is the promo code. Remember to watch Mike Thursday night mm-hmm. from the Cincinnati offices anchoring the PFF coverage, yes. Mike. And then Sam and I will merely be complimentary pieces to the Sports Illustrated coverage. We'll be the stars, though. We'll be the real stars. Uh, Sports Illustrated coverage. Yeah, if you're going to choose Thursday one, night. I'd probably watch... Us in Cincy? Both. It's, you can have both of us on. I said if you had to choose one, Steve. No, you don't have to choose. You don't have to choose. You really don't. You I, want our, I mean, look, I want the PFF numbers to do well, but That's I want you I'm guys saying. to see my analysis and hear what I have to say as well. Mm-hmm. So this is tough. You'll Split be able to screen. watch ours after the fact with all the videos coming out. Yeah, so that's so. the thing, too. We're going to have our, mm-hmm. a video per player. Yep. Hopefully for the first three rounds. We'll be recapping the draft all day Saturday. Just stick with ProFootballFocus.com and our YouTube channel. This entire week, don't forget promo code DRAFT19, 25% off your PFF products. Everybody, happy draft week, and we'll be back with you with all sorts of content and uh, podcast Wednesday, Thursday. Wednesday, Thursday. With Mike. Thanks, guys. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray 
in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.